in chapter 9, we saw Jesus' authority to forgive sins and the miraculous healings he performed in uh, his own town, Capernaum, which Jesus will refer to in this chapter. We had two weeks, didn't we, in chapter 10, which is Jesus sending instructions for his disciples. With Jesus' authority and his message, they were to go to the towns of Israel, and they faced opposition as Jesus did. Uh, we get to chapter 11, and we're immediately reminded, aren't we, of the cost, as we hear of John, who's been languishing in prison since his arrest in chapter 4. Remember it said that he was arrested, um, just as Jesus started to go uh, and about teaching, and uh, uh, he's still in prison, we're told that, in verse 2. Uh, his question comes for Jesus in verse 3, um, and I asked you to have a little think about that before, before this evening. Um, John's question in chapter 3, his question is, Are you the one, Jesus, or shall we look for another? Are you the one, or shall we look for another? So what has happened to the confidence John had, seemed to have back in chapter 3? Remember uh, his strong words to the Pharisees as they came out to see his baptism. John described, the one coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He was really clear. So, so why the doubt now? That was the question I asked you to think about. Has prison got to John a bit? Maybe. Well, John seems to think, doesn't he, by his question, that there's something missing. And I ask you to think about what that might be. Uh, if we see what it is that, that John's say, saying is missing, we might understand why he's asking. If you think about the big feature of John's message, what was it? Judgment. That was the big feature of John's message. It was judgment. To finish John's speech, John fiercely proclaimed the one whose winnowing fork would sweep away the enemies and burn them with unquenchable fire. That's pretty scary stuff, isn't it? But Jesus, well, he doesn't seem to be doing that at all. And you can understand why judgment for enemies might be a pressing issue for John. He's, he's in prison. Herod's put him there. And he seems to be getting away with it. And Jesus seems to be doing nothing about it. So the question is, are you the one or shall we look for another? Yeah, the person who we were expecting Jesus was going to bring God's judgment on enemies. And you don't seem to be doing that. You do find a form of John's question around today. Uh, people will often say uh, this to say there's no God. People say, if God exists and is all-powerful, why haven't the Bad. good people got it in the neck already? Why are they still at large? Why are they still continuing to do what they do? And I want to say, if this is your genuine question, and not just convenient avoidance, you'll, you, th this is where you'll find your answer. Notice where John takes his question. He doesn't just sit on it or hide behind it, he takes it to Jesus. Let's look at, we're going to see Jesus' reply to John uh, from verse 4, and it's going to show us uh, what Jesus' answer is, okay? And the first part of that answer is, why hasn't judgment happened yet, 
the first part of Jesus' answer is that this is the year of God's kindness, his undeserved kindness. The reason judgment hasn't happened is because this is the year of God's kindness. I asked you to look at that verse um, in Isaiah, um, in ch chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. If you've got it there, just turn it up. Um, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. Because Jesus' response to John is, the, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. We've seen Jesus do this. We saw it just last week. Jesus often makes a link from what they're seeing with their own eyes uh, to what was predicted would happen. We saw that, didn't we, in the resurrection. He makes a link between what they're seeing with their own eyes now happening and what was always predicted in the scriptures. And Jesus makes this link to John. It's not that John wouldn't have known this, but we're going to see where Jesus' answer comes to him. John's saying, where's the judgment, Jesus? And Jesus says, it is coming, but now is the time of God's mercy. This verse, verses 1 and 2, says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Tick. To bind up the brokenhearted, yes. To proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and the day of vengeance of our God. So both are mentioned there, aren't they? The year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance. And Jesus is wants John to know that, yes, I am the one that you've been waiting for. And that means that now is the year of God's favour. A time of undeserved kindness before the day of God's vengeance. And as Jesus himself says, famously says, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this before, he says he is first not come not to judge the world, but to save the world. And it's only on Jesus's second coming, his return, that he will bring his judgment in full. So, yes, Jesus is the one. John is the messenger. He's got the right guy. And yet this is a time of God's undeserved kindness. That's the first part to our answer. Why are the bad guys not getting in the neck? Why are they getting away with it? Well, now is the time of God's undeserved kindness well as John's uh, cronies leave to deliver his message Jesus turns this interruption as a good teacher would into his main illustration in verse 7 he applies it to the crowd to those who are gathered so that they might see that to reject John and reject Jesus is to reject God himself um, you see the way he draws them out uh, with playful questions in verses 7 to 9. He said to them, you know, you remember, you went out to the wilderness. What, what were you looking for? Was it um, some, some nice plants uh, to, to plant in your gardens in the wilderness? No, probably not. Um, a reed shaking in the wind. What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a, a king who's dressed in fine clothes? No, no, okay. Um, third time of asking, what did you go out to see? Oh yes, that's it, a prophet. So he wants that John is the prophet that they went out to see and, uh, and who, who he is so that they might see who Jesus is. 
Oh, Jesus then quotes from Malachi Balagti. No, sorry, the prophet Ma Malachi um, in verse 10, doesn't he? And it says this, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. I'll read another verse from Malachi. But then uh, later on in four, chapter 4, verse 5, he says this, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So that explains why Jesus later refers to John as Elijah who was to come. So Jesus affirms it, doesn't he? He says John is the one who would come, as Malachi predicted. And the big implication is that the one he's preparing the way for is the Lord himself, God. So John is the greatest among men with that kind of privilege. But Jesus' point is surely verse 11. Have a look at verse 11. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is saying what matters most, what counts, is are you in the kingdom? Not on whether you've got the big name or whether you've got the big, big responsibility. Are you in the kingdom? Because he is the king. And he can bring you into that kingdom and we're going to see it in a moment. Jesus' point is that those who are in the kingdom are better off by far. But the flip side is also true. And we'll see this in Jesus' next point. And Kenny's going to pick up the reading from verse 16 in a moment. You can actually have every privilege in this life. You can hear John's mighty words. You can even see Jesus' mighty miracles, his mighty works. And yet you can be worse off on the day of judgment than those who are complete outsiders to God's kingdom. And that's a real warning to us. Uh, we're going to hear that in verses 16 uh, to 24. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Well, I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have, been, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So part one of Jesus' answer was that this is a time of God's mercy. It's a year of God's mercy. It's, gonna, it, 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 it's, a, it's a period of time. But there will be a day of judgment. That's his second point. There is coming a day of judgment. Jesus introduces, doesn't he, a new illustration to describe those who are in the crowd. And the illustration is this. He says, imagine, picture, groups of children. Uh, you see them in the playground or maybe on the steps of the houses. They really can't decide between themselves who, what they want to play, what kind of game they want to play. One group is saying, we want to play funerals. 
So they're dressed in black and they're singing sad songs. And the other group's saying, well, we want to play weddings. We want it to be joyful, so we want something happy. And so they're dressed for a wedding. They can't decide between themselves. So in verse 17, they're calling out to each other. One group is saying, well, you know, we played the flute and you didn't dance. And the other group's saying, well, we played play the dirge and you would not join in. And the point is this, Jesus says that they couldn't be pleased. And, they, and he says that these are like the people um, who, who responded to John and to Jesus in verse 18, doesn't he? He says that John came and he was a little bit like that funeral song, wasn't he? Because he was all sombre and doom and gloom and serious. And they said, well, he just, you know, because he doesn't eat anything, he must have a demon. He's demon possessed. It's too severe. And yet as soon as Jesus turns up, immediately after John, oh, he's the exact opposite, isn't he? He's found eating with people, sharing many meals with people. The, the exact opposite. And yet, what do they say of him when they say he's a drunkard and a glutton? So really, Jesus is showing that actually their stubborn refusal to accept is actually foolishness. It's just stubborn refusal and it's foolish. And he says that wisdom is actually shown by her deeds. Jesus has revealed to them that that's their attitude, that their stubborn refusal is foolish. Like the children, they just can't decide what they want. And actually, it's, it's a bit like us, isn't it? We can't decide what we want from God. We can't decide whether he should be, uh, we actually want him to sing to our tune, don't we? So we say, oh, Jesus is too forgiving. He's too merciful. He should be doing something. Or actually, then we change our tune and we say, well, he's too severe. He speaks about judgment. But Jesus calls them out, doesn't he? In verses 20 to 24, he shows what their unrepentance will bring. And this is where we get the point about the day of judgment. He names the towns in which his mighty works were done, the towns that had every opportunity and every privilege. They had John's words and they had Jesus's mighty works. And it's pretty shocking, really, if you get what he's saying. That they might be worse off than Sod Sodom and Gomorrah or Tyre and Sidon, which were towns which were known uh, places where people um, of God's enemies, people people that you didn't want to be with. I mean, so if you think of Sodom, um, it was destroyed, wasn't it? Um, when Lot came out of the city uh, with fire and brimstone. So it's a pretty, it's a place that's obviously under God's judgment. And for to think that those who heard something of Jesus and yet did nothing about it, what does it say about them? It says, because you did not repent. Woe to you. He picks up the words of the prophets, doesn't he? The prophets make these kind of woes. Um, woe to you because you did not repent. I think they didn't actually see the need for them to change. They thought God's the one who needs to fit in with our agenda and our thoughts. He's the one who needs to change to fit in with us. And that's what they did with John and with Jesus. They didn't fit the pattern of what they wanted or what they thought they wanted. And I think this is the key, because if we don't see our need to change in light of what we hear and in light of what we see, 
then that's unrepentance. Expecting God to change and to fit in with us, but being unwilling to change. Uh, like dissatisfied children, we might want God to fit in with us, to dance to our tune. And it will show most clearly in our attitude towards the Bible, I think. We'll shift its requirements to our suiting. We may even think we're wise in doing that, that we, have, we can decide these things for ourselves. Well, Jesus, doesn't say, uh, Jesus does say, doesn't he, that um, they would be fools to do that. He said in verse 6, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says that some people will stay offended by him. It won't always be judgment that offends them, though. Sometimes it will be his mercy. <laughs> Jesus can't let those people in. He can't forgive them, surely. They think, well, that just wouldn't be right. But we've been seeing, haven't we, that, that this is a time of God's mercy. And there's a verse in the New Testament that says, um, it, in one of the letters, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Uh, Kenny, would you read 25 and 26? At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So um, Jesus makes this, uh, this public prayer um, at this point, and it's short, it's very short, but in such a short prayer, it's amazing how any supposed wisdom that we have of ourselves is actually just just removed what Jesus does is he contrasts what we know or we think we know with true knowledge and that's knowing God the Father so what does he say he says I thank you Father Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding revealed them to little children yes father for such was your gracious will so that so the things Jesus says is the father's doing are hiding the truth from some, revealing it to others, and making that choice. And he says, uh, and so that really deals a hammer blow, doesn't it, to us who think we're the ones uh, who know all things. Uh, seeing and believing is not even something that we can do for ourselves. It's a humbling thought, isn't it, that if we are proud enough to think we're smarter than God, he might actually be, hum uh, my willful refusal of him might actually be him choosing not to reveal it to me. It's his, it's his doing. He hides it from some and he reveals it to others. And Jesus thanks him that, and praises him that he's chosen in his wisdom to reveal it to those who, who don't look anything special at all. They're not the guys who are looking like the, the wise ones or the 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 ones with loads of understanding. This is this is the final thing, isn't it? Where we see that God's in charge. He He's the one who reveals himself to us. It's not us. Um, well, Jesus has shown us the true wisdom is knowing the Father. Verses 27 onwards. He says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What should surprise us is not that God chooses, but that he would choose to reveal himself to anyone. Jesus is full of praise, isn't he? I thank you, Father, that this is true of you and that you would reveal yourself even to the most unlikely of people. He reveals himself through Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't he? It says that. Only Jesus is the true son, the one who knows the father. And so only he can reveal him to anyone. He alone has that perfect relationship, which is unbroken by sin. So let's be really clear, you cannot know the Father unless you know Jesus. Because only Jesus reveals the Father. He said, Jesus has all things, whether saving faith or judgment for sinners, have been given over to him. That's the kind of responsibility he has. And that's why Jesus' only instruction for, for anyone in, the chapter, in this whole chapter is, come to me, in verse 28. It's simple as that. Come to Jesus. Well, we started, didn't we, with John's question, uh, are you the one who was to come, or should we look for another? And if it's not a theoretical one about judgment, it needs an answer. And the answer was that it's because now is a time of God's mercy and there is a day of judgment that's ahead but Jesus's answer is really a question put to us it's not for him it's for us what will we do will we do nothing expecting Jesus to fit in with our plans or will we see our need to repent to turn around to change our thinking on him and turn to him. We've seen, haven't we, that it's possible to have every opportunity. And actually there's been many people on our estate who can say that they've heard about Jesus. And yet the truth is, unless Jesus reveals the Father to them, or and to us, we just won't see it. And those who do take up the, off, the invitation to, to, to come to Jesus... They will find in him and be given by him rest for their souls. So rest is not just a, a duvet day or a, a dressing gown. Jesus wouldn't have spoken of a yoke, would he? Which was uh, used by cattle as they ploughed. It's clearly associated with work if he, didn't, if he only meant slacking off. No, actually, the picture is of wholesome and lasting contentment in life. Jesus is speaking of here. Living life to the full, living with and for the one we were made for, which is the only thing that brings us brings lasting satisfaction. And so you may be burdened with doubts and past regrets and burdened with sin. We all are. But Jesus' promise is that he will take your burden and give you his which is light and he will take your yoke which is slavery to sin and slavery to yourself and the approval of others and he will give you his yoke his teaching which will guide and direct you and he says it's easy 
He will give you the strength to live his way. Just come to him. Don't look for that elsewhere. You won't find it. Come and be Jesus' disciple. Learn from him. And you will find that his yoke is easy and light. And you find rest for your soul. There is a yoke he will give us. But it's easy. He will supply the, what we need to live it out. And there is a burden, isn't there? But it is light. What Paul can say is, uh, in his letter is that this light and momentary affliction, the sufferings he's going through for, for, for Christ, are preparing for him an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest. Let's pray. Father God, please would you uh, commit these words to us. Uh, we go around looking for contentment in so many places and we don't find it. And we're restless, even in our doing nothing. And uh, yet, Lord, thank you that you and your son reveals the Father to us, that he brings us into that perfect relationship with you. And through that, you uh, give us a, a good work to do the work of living for you and living for your glory. Please, Father, would you um, challenge us with this, that this is the time of your mercy. Now is the time of your mercy. It's a, it's a, it's a window of opportunity. There's, there's every opportunity for people to turn to you. Please, would you give us uh, courage um, as we speak to others that, that they might find mercy in, in you and find forgiveness. Please give us that courage because we know that there will be a day of judgment ahead. Please would you help us to be those who would look to you uh, to save people and to ask you to do that. Because only you can reveal who you are. Uh, please would you uh, give us um, contentment in you as we uh, have our own struggles. And as we pray now for the things that uh, perhaps are going on in our lives um, and the people that we're, we're thinking about and concerned for, would you help us to, to commit them to you and to ask the bigger prayer, which is that they would be yours and that you would save them. Amen. <laughs>